It's Jared. So back when I founded Contested, I made a promise to myself that I'd really be open to talking to anyone about anything. And for the most part, that's still really true. Um, But there was one issue that I really didn't want to record on, even though I had gone back and forth with Adam, the editor of Contested, if I wanted to do it or not. And that is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, and I know that's kind of become, unfortunately, this like meme issue for how complex it is, but for a whole host of reasons, one that it's really hard to get an objective speaker on that. And if you were to have it as a debate style, it pretty much turned into a screaming match. I didn't want to record anything in that area. Um, and to say the least, I, I somewhat broke that promise this episode, but trust me, this is not going to be an Israel-Palestine debate, and that likely will never happen on this show. Um, So instead, how I kind of wanted to approach this, because at the end of the day, the whole point of this podcast is to find topics that are really interesting, uh, that are a little under-talked about or misinformed, um, and have a dialogue with young people about them, right? That is the core mission of Contested. Um, So the way I kind of wanted to go about it, because the israel because the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is still really important, is that I wanted to focus on it from a specific lens, focus on kind of the general, uh, focus on the conversation itself, rather. I kind of wanted to see why is this topic so taboo? Why is it so misinformed? Um, And luckily, I have a great friend, Marissa Blum, who we will be hearing from today, who has done just that, found a really unique way to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And that is through what's called verbatim theater. Now, I had never heard of this, but after doing a little bit of digging and talking to Marissa, I really think this is one of the best ways to do some education on a topic like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, And I won't get into too much what verbatim theater is. I'll save that for her. Um, But don't be misled by the title of this episode. Instead, take a listen through. um, Because one, you'll learn about what verbatim theater is, if you don't know already. And two... I think you'll find some really interesting realizations about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that you might not have heard of otherwise. So stay tuned. Hey, Marissa. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. We're both in unfamiliar settings, I'd say, but looks like things are going well at the moment for both of us, which I'm extremely happy for. But I'm even happier to get to today's episode. It's been a while for me, and I think this topic is a really interesting one because it kind of transcends any singular issue and can kind of tackle some of the big issues really well. But before getting into that, if you could just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, and how did you get into verbatim theater? Yeah, so my name is Marissa Blum. I'm a freshman in college right now. No idea what I want to study, but I know that I'm interested in theater. So I'm really interested and passionate about this little known aspect of theater called verbatim theater, um, or at least little known to people who aren't really involved with theoretical and experimental work. So verbatim theater is essentially a style of documentary theater where you take a research topic that hasn't been answered by any other people in the past and it's a topic that you're interested in learning more about and you interview people who have experienced whatever event you're focusing on and take those interviews that are recorded 
and you use that to compile a list of quotes and monologues and that's how you develop a play yeah yeah so kind of just to clarify in short you basically are working on your own verbatim theater play to the best of my knowledge so does it mainly focus on history verbatim theater or can it be on something you know any kind of topic but basically the the general understanding right is that you're going to record people who are actually in some event of some kind something political like I promise the show is not just going to be us talking about theater (laughs) and then you kind of turn into an art form opposed to just creating in in the same way documentary is a political piece of film this is a political piece of theater am I kind of in the right place here yes you totally said it you said it perfectly much better than oh my gosh you should take over my job um (laughs) (laughs) yeah so It's actually not only about politics, but it's usually relating to a social justice issue, for example. So the play that I'm working on right now is about preserving the the voices of Israeli-Palestinian youth, Um, except before that, when I was still in the development stages of my project, I was also considering recording the stories of people in nursing homes. So it can really be on any topic, but yeah, you're definitely correct in drawing the connection between politics and theater, because it's definitely a work of um, social justice theater. Awesome. So I'm going to push you a little bit into your own project, because I think it's really impressive kind of the way you're going about this. And as I mentioned uh, in the intro of the show, I was really hesitant to do anything on Israel-Palestine for a whole host of reasons that I really won't get into here. If any of the listeners want to know why, feel free to email us and I'll happily give you a monologue as to why, but I'm going to spare that here. But I think what you're doing is a really interesting way because it's really, as verbatim theater implies, it's purely the words of people involved, right? Mm -hmm. It's not you imposing any kind of activist lens of your own, but rather like, look, I have found this. And instead of me just reading you 25 hours or so or 30 hours of footage, which is kind of boring, I'm going to break it down in a nice artistic way that still holds its integrity. So could you explain a little bit more about what your project is, kind of how you got interested in it in the first place and kind of what are some of your long-term goals for it? Yeah, so I guess if I'm going back to how I really got into at least planning the play on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that goes back to kind of like the beginning of my life. So I come from a reformed Jewish family. I wouldn't necessarily call ourselves or my family the most liberal or left-leaning, but growing up in that environment, I've always heard my very, very old family always talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And there was such animosity and pain that I heard whenever I was talking about, or whenever I heard people discuss it. And For me, knowing that I'd grown up only hearing about one perspective of the conflict, I decided that it'd be important to hear about the people's experiences who live that as their everyday experience. You know, I feel like since we have very few connections to Israel, I felt that it was particularly important to hear the voices of Palestinians. And so I wound up applying for the summer program called Seeds of Peace, where I met a bunch of people from all over the Middle East and particularly people from Israel and Palestine. And we participated in a three-week dialogue program where we sort of talked about our lived experiences with relation to the conflict. And at this time, I was just finishing the creation, the co-writing um, or the co-creation of my first verbatim piece with other people, with a group of students from my high school. And I realized that there was such 
an absence of youth voices being represented in the mm. conflict that I felt like it was really, really important to be able to mm. record them because there were so many perspectives that I'd never heard because I really feel like when you focus on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you really focus and only hear the perspective of government officials or people high up or a bunch of adults who have grown up really believing in what they believe in, you know, their ideas are pretty solid. So I decided that it was important to gather the perspectives of youth activists on both sides of the conflict. And yeah, that's essentially how I got into it. <laughs> and I've had a really wonderful time hearing from people. Yeah, I think kind of the, the main theme of this podcast, if you go through it, is that like, there's a lot of youth voices that probably uh, carry a unique lens, whether you agree with it or not, it's something that's probably overlooked and something that really ought to be documented. And I think for an issue as kind of big and broad as Israel-Palestine, I really commend you for kind of going out and doing the due diligence on your own to say, look, this is, this is what I found. I found that there's all these lived experiences from all these different types of people. And the best way to kind of boil that down is in a play. So kind of transitioning, I want to get into a little bit, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to, to, to kind of go through your whole play here. But I kind of want to get into a little bit of some of the main discoveries that you heard from this recording. This doesn't have to be necessarily a viewpoint, but just if there's like three or four things that kind of larger lessons that you learned from talking to Israeli and Palestinian youth, I think that would be really important to share. Okay, so first off, I should definitely correct myself because I haven't only been interviewing Israelis and Palestinians. I've also been interviewing Jordanians and Egyptians and several Arab Americans and Jewish Americans. The most interesting interviews that I've actually had came from two people who had nothing to do with the conflict. So one person I interviewed was just this random guy I found on the street who heard me talking to my friend about my project. And so he was some random teenager. And so I sat down to interview him and he said some really interesting perspectives about how he believed that Israel was becoming an apartheid state. But I also happened to have the chance to interview someone from South Africa who grew up still experiencing the impacts of the apartheid and post-apartheid. And it was so interesting to hear those different perspectives, how one person who lived in a post-apartheid state said that from his perspective, he didn't see how there was any, any similarities between South Africa and Israel and Palestine. Obviously, that's something that can be contested, but that was his perspective. And meanwhile, this person who I met on the street who had no experience, no connection with Israel, Palestine, Judaism, Islam, or the Middle East, he was just completely born and bred American, said, it's so obvious that it's an apartheid state. And I, and, you know, I just thought it was incredibly interesting to hear those two different perspectives. Now, probably the second main finding is that I don't know how much solid education there is that young Jewish Americans get on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I interviewed probably about 12 or 13 really young people, and to them, they knew virtually nothing. So they had family in Israel, and they had Palestinian friends, but it wasn't something that was really brought up to them. So for me, I know personally, I grew up learning about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but I was just shocked to see that um, that wasn't the same in a lot of American Jewish households. Interesting. And I think there's a few points here. One is that 
I think in a conversation as thick and complex as Israel-Palestine, definitions are everything, right? If I've learned anything from reading way too many infographics and articles is that this conversation is predicated on a lot of big words and a lot of words that a lot of people define differently. And I'm not saying there's one correct or wrong definition, right? The South African person might have seen apartheid as one thing, this very, you know, kind of institutional and legal apartheid, right? One that's by law, where this other individual might have said, no, apartheid is really any like two-tier system based on some physical characteristic. Not one is inherently better than the other, but I think defining terms is really important. And I think it's interesting that the kind of the lack of literacy across the board is the cause of that. And then as far as the Jewish American ones, I mean, full disclosure, everyone kind of knows who listens to this podcast who I am. I don't know if my interview is going to make it in, but I did sit down with Marissa about two years ago to do something similar, like be a part of the, the kind of the recordings here. And I would agree with you entirely, right? I would either say that information from young Jewish Americans is extremely biased, right? It's either through your Hebrew school or through some sort of kind of heavily Israel bent lens, or it's just one that you kind of neglect. And I would kind of put myself in that camp, which is that like, I've had enough of this. It's really just a toxic issue. Put it aside, which is really not helpful, right? At the end of the day, there's people's lives and livelihoods at stake and simply ignoring the conversation because it's problematic or complex is probably not the best solution. I'll be the first one to admit that. But if there's anything else you kind of want to add that you specifically picked up because you were interviewing young people, like obviously these kind of definition debates and the bent of Jewish Americans toward Israel is something that probably transcends a lot of generations. But if there's anything that you found specifically from talking to young people by doing the interviews through that specific age group, I think that could be really interesting. Wow. Okay. So this is, this brings up a really interesting point. When I first discussed with my mentor about problems that I might come into when conducting my interviews. He mentioned that, you know, interviewing young people is always incredibly difficult. And that is because his hypothesis, at least, was that in the age of social media, I'm using the quotation fingers for people who can't <laughs> For the people who are just listening here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the uh, age of social media, um, a lot of people our age tend to tell, not show. So mm. by that, I mean that a lot of people who don't, don't really want to tell me a lot about themselves, even if they're people that I know or who know people that I know, it's really difficult to get stories out of people our age. However, in the interviews that I've conducted with parents with their children, I've gotten some really interesting stories. And so I think that the main problem that I've run into is people our age being closed off and perhaps not wanting to share a lot. So in the questions that I would ask them, for example, I said, how has social media impacted your view of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? They'll say, I don't know. I see some stuff on social media sometimes. Social media is a wonderful place. Okay, don't get me wrong. I use it all the time. I'm from, I'm from the Zoomer generation. <laughs> but, like, but I just think it's so interesting how perhaps it is true that the hypothesis that people are more closed off because we have more access to technology. Yeah, so it's been, it's been interesting and it's been difficult, but it's been fun finding the people who really have something to say. 
that is interesting. I, I really don't know how to feel about that, to be honest. Because in the sense, you're right. right? I mean, I, I think even in this past few months, anyone who shares a similar Instagram feed to me would see that people are a lot more bolsterous on social media than they are in real life. That people are far more willing to espouse their views on social media than in a dialogue. For better or for worse. And I would say for worse, but like, that's a conversation for another time. But I think it's interesting that maybe this issue, this is my like really poorly thought out hypothesis, but I think this issue in specific carries so much taboo-ness to it that the dialogue becomes that much harder, right? If you were to ask specifically our friends, and I would venture to say a lot of people in this pod or who listen to this pod, are, are you a fan of Donald Trump? You'll get a whole long interview answer to that question. Mm -hmm. But for something like Israel-Palestine, it's one of those like walk on eggshells, I think for a lot of people, where it really shouldn't be right? At the end of the day, the whole point of this kind of podcast is to bring on young people to talk about issues and create this dialogue without walking on eggshells. So kind of transitioning off of that, how do you kind of see verbatim theater as this, this mechanism, this medium that can do that, right? That really can present something that avoids the social media, you know, blank screen or the kind of the non-talkative interview? So the thing that I really love about verbatim theater is that they're actual people's words. There's nothing that people can argue over about interpretation, about anything, because what's there is there. That is what people said. That's what they mean. And so typically, I think it, it's really powerful in the realm of social justice theater because, you know, you can communicate messages and political messages, humanitarian messages through fiction and nonfiction, but you know, you can always argue that a person has an, ag an agenda. You can argue that with, with verbatim theater too, based upon the way you organize your interviews. But really the main point of verbatim theater is highlighting diverse perspectives. You know, one show, a show, or at least the kind of verbatim theater that I like to do. For me, it's important to get as many perspectives as possible. And it's not supposed to push any sort of at least for, for the, like I'm emphasizing again, the theater that I like to create is that I don't want to push a message on the audience. I want them to leave with perspectives, knowing that they have the opportunity to dissect the information that they just heard, the things that they just saw and form their own opinion on the matter. So for me, there's no political goal that I'm trying to go in with it. I'm just trying to give people information. I think that answered your question. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it, it very much did. Yeah, I do think it leaves it a lot open to the, like a lot more open to perspective and kind of open to the listener, or in this case, the viewer to make a decision. So kind of shifting to a lighter note here, for anyone who is interested in the idea of verbatim theater or says like, hey, this is pretty cool. I know some friends who are passionate about an issue and I don't really want to start a podcast because that dude Jared has the podcast <laughs> and it doesn't really seem happy doing it. That's a lie, I'm, you know. <laughs> What would be kind of your recommendation to people either looking to discover verbatim theater or maybe launch into a project of their own? Wow. Okay. So this, I have a, quite a few ideas. So first of all, I am actually at a standstill in my project because one of the most important aspects of creating a verbatim theater piece is teamwork. You know, you want to have multiple perspectives. So it's always helpful to have more than one interviewer. So my team 
we decided to break up um, for a multitude of reasons <laughs> because we all went off to college and it was just too difficult to continue interviews. So if you're interested at all in getting involved, feel free to contact me. Um, you can request um, to follow me on my Instagram, um, <laughs> not to plug me, um, but m.blum underscore and feel free to DM me and I would love to talk to you and if you're interested in getting involved, I would love to have you work with me on my project. And so if you're not interested in getting involved, at least in my project, then there are some other ways, some other recommendations I have. So if you want to learn more about verbatim theater and really have the opportunity to learn about its power, I highly recommend watching the Laramie Project. So essentially it's about the murder of Matthew Shepard, who was a young gay man in Laramie, Wyoming. And so the reason why I bring this up is because the Tectonic Theater Company was a small verbatim theater company that actually went to, the, to Laramie, Wyoming to record the experiences of people in Laramie after his murder because it, re, it was national headlines. It brought queer rights to the forefront again in America and it was a really, really big issue. So if you really want to see the process of verbatim theater, then I highly recommend watching that movie. And also I recommend one of the most famous figures in the field of verbatim theaters, Anna DeVere Smith. So she has created multiple pieces and my personal favorite is Twilight Los Angeles 1992, which is about after the Rodney King riot. So that is an incredibly helpful piece to read as well. And her performance of it is just absolutely incredible. <laughs> She's a bit contested um, because of some of her portrayals of people are a bit, you know, that's another thing about verbatim theater. Oh, we're going to another point. See, now that you've got me on the path of Canada <laughs> Vera Smith. <laughs> um, so typically when you're interviewing an individual, you write down, at least for my process, and I know other people's processes, is you're supposed to write down sort of what they look like. So Anna Veersmith has some interesting portrayals of different races and different religions. So that's what I would say, is that you can argue that she was trying to imitate the people that she was interviewing, but you know, that's of course, it's always something, it's something that to be aware of when you um, are creating a piece and performing the piece is that you want to be true to the people who you've interviewed but you also don't want to turn them into a mascot at all yeah so that was enough of my Anna DeVere Smith um contestant but you can yeah but yeah so that's where I would start <laughs> thanks no I think that's um really good for a few reasons one all of the stuff she just talked about, to the best of my ability, I'll link it in the description for this episode. Specifically, if you check our Instagram out, which is at Contested Politics, when we this episode goes live, Marissa will be tagged in that picture. So you can find her Instagram really easily there and get in contact. And I know there's plenty of theater people who follow this account, so hit her up. The other thing, though, is I did watch The Laramie Project. I can also highly recommend that. I think... It was really interesting in the sense that it was somewhat very similar to a documentary, I would say, but it was really through his friend's eyes, which I really liked. It wasn't, you know, the media coverage or kind of like a historical analysis. It was like, who is Matthew Shepard as a person and kind of, you know, what does that mean going forward? But all of that is really helpful. And Marissa, I really hope that your project ends up getting developed. And when it does, I will be one of the first people to go watch it. But until then, I guess verbatim theater might have to stay on the back burner. But thank you so much for coming out Contested. It's been really fun.
Thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Contested. If you like what you heard, feel free to visit our website at contestedpolitics.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. I'd like to extend a big thank you for Marissa Blum to coming on. I'd like to extend a big thank you to Marissa Blum for coming on to this episode and really doing a great job explaining what verbatim theater is and her experience with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. All of the resources she talked about in the episode are going to be linked in the description below, so also please check those out. And reach out to Marissa if you want to help her with her project. Until next time, thank you for helping us understand politics together.